standing. Folks, I hope you've come today with well-prepared ground. You understand what I mean by that? The heart softened, ready to receive the Word of God. Part of our anniversary celebration, if you will, we've invited Brother Francois Carr to be with us this morning. Some of you do know this gentleman. Uh, He is the director of Heart Cry South Africa. And brother, we're very excited to have you this morning. You come bring us the Word of God. Jose, good morning. It's a joy to be with you guys this morning. And it's always good to be with God's people, especially on a Sunday morning when He promises where two people are gathered together in His name is that He will be in their midst. And so we are looking forward not just to listen to God's Word, but also to what God has in mind for us, even as we speak and as we lead our services this morning. But it's good for us to be with you guys in Potsdam. We are looking forward to be here. And especially now that COVID-19, the, you know, the lockdown regulations is lifted a little bit and we can travel again in South Africa and hopefully soon we can travel abroad to all our other places as well. We are from Heartcry in South Africa. The front burner from our ministry is revival, not just in South Africa, our ministry, but also New Zealand, Australia, many, many places in Europe, also in the States where Mike is coming from, and also many countries in Africa and especially a lot of places in South Africa. So the front burner of the ministry is revival. But you know, God has shown us that we really cannot separate revival from discipleship. And so when Mike speaks about discipleship and the Great Commission, we realize this is what God has in mind for you as a local church. Because Jesus walked away from an atmosphere of revival in Mark chapter 1, when he was about to be baptized by John the Baptist, and after the baptism, he still walked away from an atmosphere of revival to spend some time with his father in the wilderness, and then eventually to invest his life in time in only 12 disciples. It would have been easy for Jesus to took the disciples of John the Baptist and just kind of continue because they have been well equipped and trained already, but he did not. It would have been easy for Jesus to take that crowd of people that was there because the Bible says in Mark chapter 1 verse 5 that the whole land from Judea and from Jerusalem was there. There was a lot of people there, an atmosphere of revival. It would have been easy for him to take that group of people and just walk away and start a movement in conquering Romans and just change the nation. But he did not. He walked away to invest his life and time in only 12 disciples. So discipleship is so important. And I'm so happy to be part of the celebration of the church that has been founded many, many years ago for nine years. And if I can share a vision with you guys, as Mike just mentioned that, I realized something. There was a pastor in a place called the Philippines many years ago, and he started the small church also in his home. There were just a couple families together, and so we shared the vision. And they start to grow, and they start to grow. And one Sunday morning, he stood up in a pulpit like this, and he said, Listen, guys, I can see a church membership of a thousand people. And so they share the vision, and they continue to work. And within a couple of years, they were a thousand people on a Sunday morning. Then I watch him say, I can dream about 10,000 people. And then he dreams about 50,000, then 100. And recently, I watch him say, I dream about one million members. They have a big, big building in the Philippines. They have six, seven meetings on a Sunday morning. And he's not even a trained pastor. He's just a businessman. 
But then he said something. And I want to share that with you before we get to God's word this morning. He said, why, do you know why I share the vision of one million disciples? Not Christians. Because there's a difference between a Christian and a disciple. Am I right? Christianity, the word you only find three times in the Bible. But disciple, 269 times. Why do we dream of a million disciples that live and to act like Jesus? He said, because our nation is among the 10th most corrupt nations in the world. But can you imagine, he says, one million disciples that look and behave and act like Jesus that we can send into the marketplace as teachers and government officials and people working as cashiers in different kind of places, the impact they can have upon people. That's what we dream about. So if I listen to Mike this morning and I look at the website and, and I look at you guys and I have seen some of your faces before when I was preaching in the Afrikaans churches in South Africa, I want to say the same thing to you. Just imagine the potential of what can be what God can do. Because each and every one of us here this morning has what we call a concentric circle of concern around us between 60 and 120 people in your relationship. Starting with yourself, your family, your extended family, your neighbors, your acquaintances, your friends, your colleagues, your, your students in the college and university. The impact that God can have. Not to borrow a church but to live and to act like Jesus. Because Christianity is not what we know. It's all about what we become. And may God bless you guys as a local church in Potchefstroom, Mike, and may it continue for nine more years, and not just because of the numbers, but to go deep. And may God find within you guys a vessel, an instrument that he can use for his benefit and for his glory. So if you have your Bible this morning, I want you to turn with me to the book of Exodus chapter 3. You know, when you receive an invitation to speak at a local church, we as speakers always have the temptation what to speak about. And then sometimes you would just take something old and you just kind of put it in the microwave and you eat it up. <laughs> and then you'd come and deliver the service and, you know. But I was really waiting upon the Lord what He wants me to speak about this morning. And th there's a lot of things that is living within my own heart. We are busy writing material about what we call the forgotten model of the Lord Jesus that we just finished. And it's all about getting back to the way that Jesus took elf, 11 disciples and, and invested His life in them and duplicated until we find more than 2 billion followers of Christ worldwide at the moment. And somehow how Paul have taken the same model and implemented that and how they reached the whole Asia Minor in his time. That he said there's no more other places that we can go because everybody in Turkey today has heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I was tempted to speak to you about that this morning because it's in my heart. And I'm writing the material about that and we just finished that. And then this morning as I was praying I thought about maybe the invested life and, and how we spend some time with someone that we can become disciples in action. But as I was sitting here, the Lord just started to impress upon my heart this passage from the book of Exodus chapter 3. So I want to share with you briefly this morning 
just a few thoughts that you can take back home and maybe just reflect upon that for yourself and maybe apply the truths to your own heart as we continue to walk with God in such a time as this. Book of Exodus chapter 3, the very first verse starts with this word. And now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. Every time when you start to read through a chapter in the Scriptures, and the, the chapter starts with the word now, it means that somehow this is linked with the previous chapter. Or the word therefore, or the word and. So if you see the word and, and therefore, and now, and things like that, which is kind of the connecting words, you've got to go back to the previous chapter. So let's turn to chapter 2 from the book of Exodus. And if you look in the beginning of chapter 2, it says, And there went a man of the house of Levi, and he took a wife, a daughter of Levi. So that means somehow what happens in chapter 2 is connected to chapter 1. So we've got to go back to chapter 1. And the chapter starts in my Bible with the word, Now these are the names of the children of Israel. So that means we've got to go back to Genesis chapter 50. And so we open Genesis chapter 50 and he starts, And Joseph fell upon his father's face. That means something is just continuing from chapter 49. So we've got to go back there. <laughs> and so we get to that chapter and we've got to go back all the way to Genesis chapter 1. So if you start in Genesis chapter 1 this morning, and you continue reading to the book of Revelations chapter 22, you will find it's the story of God. It's God's story. And sometimes in the story of God, God that does exist, that loves us, that has a perfect plan for you and for I, is actively in control and governing His creation from the very beginning till the end. And sometimes He needs a man or a woman. Or sometimes He needs a local church like here in Potsdam to do what God has in mind that needs to happen next. So when we look at the book of Exodus, we find it's the book of redemption, of salvation. How God brought the people out of Egypt to take them to a place called the Promised Land. Because it's part of God's story. Now I remember when I was a young boy, about six, seven years old, I grew up in a place called Beaufort West. It's in the Karua in and I remember we grew up in a place called Hospital Hevel. That's one of the areas in Beaufort West, which was the more poor people were living there because we were poor. But I had a friend, his name was Willie. Today he's a medical doctor in, in Florida, in America. But I remember every day after school, we went to the house of Willie to spend some time playing because his father was retired, his mother was still a businesswoman. But there at the house, there was always candy. And so we went to that place because of the candy. And then we can play with Willie before we can go back home. But Willie had a problem. He was addicted, in a good sense of the word, to a radio program. And every day when we get to the house of Willie, he would sit and have his meal. And then he would listen to a story that was broadcasted on the local radio. It's almost like today, television without the pictures. You know what I mean, radio. You understand what I'm saying? So he was listening to the story. And then they would tell the story about this special agent. His name was Car Double O S. You might remember some of them. 
And then there was an agent, his wife's name was Fifi. I will always remember this. And then he would listen to this for 20 minutes. And at the end of that, he said, to be continued tomorrow afternoon. So we know that if we come back tomorrow, we have to listen to another story on the radio. And you know about this because life is a continuation that starts in Genesis chapter 1 that will end on the day that Jesus comes again. And somehow along the line, God chooses to make you part of God's plan and God's purpose. And in this case, he found a man called Moses. And I want to share with you this morning just, just a few things that I, that I want you to think about as we leave this place. Because even though sometimes we might find ourselves in the midst of COVID-19, the pandemic worldwide, not traveling, not doing business the way we want to do, not visiting people, not even worshiping the way we want to worship, that sometimes you find yourself with a dream which is not alive or even dead, but it does not change the purpose and the plan that God has in mind for you and for the rest of the world. So in Exodus chapter 3, if we can go back there, the redemption of the people of Israel, and God chose a man with his name is Moses. And sometimes when I think about Moses, I have this picture on the front page of a book called Experiencing God from Dr. Blackaby in America. And if you look at that face with just a shining with a white beard, and you always wonder, will I ever get to that place that I can walk with God so closely that my face can shine just like his? Because that's what we see in the front of a book cover. Or maybe Charlton Heston, the actor that played the role of Moses in the Ten Commandments. But Moses had that special and unique tender walk with God. The Bible says that the people of Israel, they knew the deeds of God, but Moses understand and know the ways of God. And that's the place I want to be. So I want you to see a few things. Number one, I want you to see when God came to visit with Moses, encounter him, that Moses got to know the special plan that God had in mind for the people of Israel in the first place. Let's read that together. And so God got his attention at the bush that was burning. And then we can read from verse 4 onwards. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see God, called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh, either put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them out of that land unto a good land and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and even the Jebusites. Let's just read those few verses together. And may God add the blessing to the reading of his word this morning. You know, Moses grew up in Egypt. He was the son of the daughter of Pharaoh, and he was well-trained and equipped in all the ways of the Egyptians. If you would turn to the book of Acts chapter 7, you would read the story that happened there from the perspective of Stephanie was preaching about this. 
But verse 22 said the following, Moses was well equipped and trained in all the ways of the Egyptians and he could speak very well. Moses could speak well. And in this moment, God came to him and said, listen, I want you to go back to Egypt and bring the people out of Egypt. But if you look in Acts chapter 7, you would see something amazing. Moses knew that God wanted to use him to bring the people out of Egypt. And when he tried to do something about that, he failed. And so he had to flee for his life and end up for 40 years in the desert. You know the story so well. And that's where he spent time in the desert of Midian. Then God came to speak to him. And in that moment, Moses realized what is the plan that God has in mind for him and for the people of Israel. And I want you to see that. Look at verse 8 again. I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good land. He speaks about two locations, two places. Now every year in the month of March or April when we celebrate Easter, which is in the next month, this year is from the 2nd till the 5th of April, we celebrate Easter in South Africa. When you go to Israel today, the Jewish people also celebrate the same time, but they celebrate that day that God has saved them and brought them out of Egypt into the land overflowing eventually of milk and honey. So the Jews look at that moment as the day God saved them, the day of their redemption. You and I as Christian people look at the same weekend, but we look at the day that Jesus died on the cross on Calvary, that you and I can be saved and born again and to be with him forever and forever. It's the same weekend. But we look at that moment as your salvation when you get to know Christ as your Savior. But that's not the ultimate goal of Jesus. Because look what the Father is saying. He said, Moses, I want you to go back and bring the people out of Egypt that you can bring them in to the promised land. So the question this morning is not, have you been saved and born again? Did you leave Egypt? No. The question is, have God brought you in the promised land? That's the question. In more than 340 verses of Scripture, this is one of them you will find in the book of Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Joshua that speaks about God's intention. Let me just read you one. Deuteronomy chapter 6, if you want to turn there. It's the words of Moses. When Moses speaks about this moment, and the Lord have shown signs, verse 22, and wonders and great and sore upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, and upon all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there, from thence, that he might bring us in to give us the land which he made a promise or swear unto our fathers. God's intention is not to be saved. God's intention is to live in the land overflowing with milk and honey. I want you to think about this. So I want you to see something. There's Egypt. Just look at my hand for a moment. This is Egypt. God's intention is the promised land. And for them, when they had to leave Egypt, there was a Red Sea experience waiting for them. And after the Red Sea, there was the wilderness phase for a number of years. 
We get two types of wilderness experiences today. One is God takes you there intentionally to see what's in your heart and sometimes things that happens in your life. But following the wilderness was another experience called the Jordan River before they were able to enter into the promised land. So we have Egypt, the wilderness, the promised land, and eventually Assyria in the Babylonian captivity because of disobedience. God's intention is not to be leaving Egypt, but to do what? To go to Israel. Knowingly that there's two experiences that they have to encounter. The first one is what we call the Red Sea. The second one was the Jordan River. You see, for many people, when they attend a meeting like this or a crusade or event or they accept Christ as their Savior or put up their hands someplace, for many people, that's the ultimate goal. It's not. God said, you need to leave Egypt because my intention is what? The promised land. So what is the promised land? If you go to Joshua chapter 1, you will find that it speaks about three things which is so important for you and for me as the ultimate goal of Christianity. You know what is that? It's a life of peace and victory. In Joshua chapter 1, it speaks about three things. The first thing is to enter into the promised land. That's God's intention. To leave behind Egypt and the wilderness. Because the wilderness speaks about defeat. It speaks about not being fruitful. It speaks about prayerlessness. It speaks about complaining and murmuring and unbelief and disobedience and things like that. It's all the characteristics of a life of defeat. But in the promised land, it speaks about so much more. It speaks about peace and the presence of God and, and growth and fruit and, and power. But the second thing I want you to see in the promised land is not just peace and victory, but it is the fact that we are representatives of the location where you find yourselves. If we are in Egypt, we bear the fruit of someone that lives in Egypt. John speaks about that in the book of Matthew and John as he speaks about we have to bear the fruit of repentance. So if people are not saved today in South Africa, you can see that in their lives by just looking at that. But if you are saved and born again, but you find yourself stuck in the wilderness, we can also see that because you see this person testifies that he is born again, but the characteristics of his life is a life of defeat. And prayerlessness. But if you go to the promised land, it's a life of growth that leads to Christ-likeness, spiritual maturity, peace and victory. Look at God's plan. Remember now Moses knew that God wants to use him. So he tried to do something about that and he failed and he had to flee for his life and end up in the desert. And now he's in the desert with a dream that has died. And somehow when God met with him, Moses realized that God's plan has not changed. And let me tell you something this morning. We might find ourselves stuck in Potsdam because of COVID-19, because of business and economy and all kinds of things which is happening around us, but it does not change the plan of God for every person in Potsdam. What is that? To leave Egypt, to be saved. Yes, no. 
to go to where? The promised land. What about 62 million people in South Africa? Oh, we are stuck in COVID-19. I cannot travel. My finances is not enough to pay all my bills. I have had an arm operation like Brother Mike. I'm looking at the sling at the moment. It does not change the fact that God wants every person to be saved in South Africa. No, to go beyond this, to live in peace and victory and growth and maturity. Because that's God's plan. So until everybody knows Jesus in South Africa and start to live in the fullness of Christ-likeness, to act and to live and to behave like them, the job and the commission of this church is not finished yet. So although you find yourself in a difficult place today, it does not change God's plan for your life and for those around you. It does not change the plan from God for your wife, your spouse, your husband. You mean that difficult woman I married? Yes. <laughs> she has to become like Jesus too. Am I right? You know the word Emmanuel, God with us? It speaks about a heightened awareness of the presence of God in Matthew chapter 1. But did you know that once not far away from here, I was doing a weekend retreat for couples and we took the word Emmanuel for the weekend. And so I, I made a few sessions about that and, we, and I asked the guys a question and the wives. I said, listen, if Mike has accepted Jesus as his Savior, where is Jesus living now? And he said, no, inside his heart. I said, that's right. And, and if Mike's wife has accepted her Jesus as his, her Savior, where is she living? It's also in, the heart of in her heart, am I right? My wife, same. So when I look at my wife, at whom am I looking? Jesus. So how do I behave and speak to my wife, knowingly that Jesus is inside her? Can you imagine for a moment? I'm trying to show you this morning just by being practical that even though we find ourselves in difficult circumstances worldwide, it does not change the plan and the purpose of God. For every human being worldwide, seven and a half billion people worldwide, it's the same plan. Get to know my son and really to know him and let him know you. And come to live out of Egypt into the wilderness. No, go beyond that to the place of peace and victory and joy and fullness and growth. That's where God wants you to be. So that's what Moses realized in this moment. The second thing that Moses realized in verse 1 and verse 12 is the following. He said, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father, the priest of Midian, and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. Look at verse 12. He said, When you go out, you get the people of Egypt, you will bring them back. You will bring them to this mountain. Look at verse 12. Certainly I will be with you, and this shall be a token unto you that you will serve God upon this mountain mountain. Now I have had the privilege to be at that mountain 12, 8, 9 times in my life, almost 12. In the area 12 times, but then the mountain 9 times. But what does this mountain speak about? It speaks about the fact that God is showing Moses on this journey from, from this moment into Egypt and back. You and I need a place where we can meet with one another called the place of God, the mountain of God, a place. 
where you can spend some time with me, where you can come into my presence and I can speak to you. And if I look at the life of Moses beyond this moment, how many times when there was a crisis with the people, he, he was interceding and, and seeking the face of God and go back to the mountain and talk to the Lord. And so the question today is, do you have a place where you can meet with God? I'm not talking about Sunday morning here as a church, back home. A place. You know, Jesus, when he shows up in a place called Bethany, just outside of Jerusalem, and suddenly, you know, the disciples were there, they were tired, they were hungry, and they got into the house of Mary and Martha, and, and Martha was working in the kitchen, fixing all the things that needs to be, which is important things, is to eat something and to drink something, but Mary was just sitting at the feet of Jesus. And when she complained, her sisters, Jesus simply said, Mary, I have chosen the one thing which is needful, and that's to sit at my feet to listen to my voice. And when I look at the life of Jesus actually modeling this, in John chapter 8, verse 28, the Bible says, Jesus said, I can only speak what I've heard from my Father. He repeats that same verse in John chapter 12, verse 48 to 50. He said, I can only speak. When I look at my red Bible, my Bible with the red letters inside, I go to Matthew, Mark, and John, and, and I open my scriptures, and I can show you all the red letters in the Bible. All those that is read, Jesus has spoken with his mouth. But he said, I did so because I heard that from my Father. Because I was sitting at the feet of my Father. Spending some time. So where is this place? It's at the feet of the Father. So let me ask you something about your quiet time. Do you have a place where you wake up in the morning and, and just go sit? Not pray, sit and read and listen and just be with Him. You know, Mike would appreciate this when I was asked by the Synod of South Carolina many, many years ago to write a book for them about quiet time, which I did. And they told me the reason for that. He said, because we have the second highest suicide rate of spiritual leaders in all the states of America. And we have found that one of the greatest reasons for that is the fact that people don't sit and just be with Jesus. But if you would ask any pastor, did you read your Bible? Yes, because he's making a sermon for Sunday. No. Just be with Him. You know, I remember the story of a guy called Bishop Fulton. He was an archbishop in New York, in America, many, many years ago. One day he was asked to speak with a group of ladies in a monastery and in a convent. And, and he simply looked at them and he said, Listen, you know why I'm standing here this morning to speak to you? They said, No. He said, Because I have something to say. Because I made a commitment, he says, to spend an hour every day at the feet of Jesus, and I have never missed one day in 365 days for 50 years. Dick Eastman heard that story. He started to do the same. He wrote the book called An Hour, Spend an Hour of Jesus, the hour that prays from Dick Eastman. 324,000 small groups he started as a result of that. But when I look at Bishop Fulton, the story behind it, 
He said, I find the story of a young girl. One day, I read the story, he says, in the persecution in China, where the Christians are persecuted. Every day that she would come inside between the soldiers and go to the front of the pulpit, and then she would sit, and then she would just worship the Lord Jesus. He's a young girl, less than 12 years old. And one day they caught her and they killed her. And then he said, if she can do that, I can do the same. So let me ask you something this morning. It's not about Christianity or even church. It's about a place where you can speak and meet with Jesus for yourself. Do you have such a place? What about you as a couple? where you and your husband and spouse can get together to have family worship, to pray together as a couple, a place at home where you can meet to be together. Because we are all on a journey, God's story. He said, Moses, you must remember I have a plan. My plan for you is to live in the fullness of what Jesus has available for each and every one. But remember, to get to that place, to stay there, to keep it, to grow, you and I need to spend some time just being with one another. You know, when Luke chapter 10, when Jesus said these words to Mary and Martha, it's amazing. One word, one word from Jesus can change your life completely. But if you fast forward to John chapter 12, Jesus shows up at the same house again a few years later. And I just love verse 1 and verse 2. You can read this in your own time. This time he shows up in the same way with his disciples. But the Bible said... Both sisters served Jesus. So Mary got the message. The best place to be is at the feet of your, of your master, but at the same time help your sister in the kitchen too. But for Martha, you can serve me, but stop complaining. When you go to John chapter 12, she served Jesus this time with a heart full of worship. One word changed his life. Lazarus' life, her life, and Mary's life. So I need to ask you, do you have a place like this where you can spend some time with Jesus? And I have seen from our material that you cannot really separate revival or discipleship from the foundation of intimacy. Not just to pray, but to listen. And I have to close. My time is finished Mike said only 20 minutes and I must be finished. <laughs> In the third place, briefly, Moses realized God is going to take him by the hand and lead him on a path just like for you and I. Let's look at this briefly. It starts with getting your attention. Look at the words of Moses and God himself when he met with him in chapter 3. And the Bible says, and Moses was just tending the flock. Then he realized that there's a bush that is burning. Now, I've been to that desert a number of times in my life. It's, there's no oxygen there. If you would lit a fire to a bush, you will find the bush is burning and will burn out. But this bush is burning and burning and burning and burning. And that got the attention of Moses because he knew it's not supposed to be like this. So he stopped. The Bible said, turn aside and look. 
Sometimes God is allowing things to happen to get your attention and mine. That we can start to pay attention. Sometimes a sickness, sometimes an operation, sometimes... What is God doing at the moment to get the attention of the world? To get your attention? For you to slow down the pace and stop. That you can reconnect and somehow just adjust your life. And God used a bush. God used an angel in the life of Mary. Because when she went to fetch the water, she saw an angel. I mean, today if God will show up and put your strum for an angel, you also will stop and look, you know. Sometimes it gets your attention. What is that? And then the next thing that happens is amazing. Look what God is saying to him. Moses, Moses. One would think that after 40 years in the desert, God forgot the name of Moses. But he did not. You might find yourself in a difficult marriage at the moment, a difficult economic situation, and you think that God has forgotten, and he did not. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah that your hand is written exactly in the palm of God's hand. He knows exactly who you are and where you are and what you do and what your struggles are. He knows your name. Otherwise, he would have called Moses, Hey, you, come here. <laughs> he said, Moses, Moses, Mike, Francois. He knows your name. But then God says, listen, Moses, take the shoes from your feet. The place where you stand is holy ground. Holy ground. What does it mean? A few years ago, I was preaching not too far away from here in the Free State, and I stayed in the house of a farmer. A little place outside the main farmhouse, and that's the place I was staying in driving from there to the services at night and, and one morning there was a service in the morning and so I went to the morning to the town I came back and I parked my vehicle it was very very hot so I won't eat side and I put in a t-shirt and some short pants and the next moment somebody was screaming outside so I ran outside and I see there's a lady just pointing the finger towards the right hand side of my vehicle and when I looked there I see there was a snake lying right there and so we killed the snake and eventually I, I started to get, you know, you get these backflashes from you getting cold because you realize something could have happened. I walked right over that snake. And I started to think about this. And this passage came to my mind. God told Moses to take off the shoes from his feet. Why? Let me tell you, four reasons. Number one, because of dust. When you go to Israel today, you find that this is desert. But it's dust. When you go, when you walk around and you lean against places like this and you go back home, you'll find the white of the dust against your clothing. And by the night, you will find your sandals will be white from the dust. And that's why Jesus speaks about this. Water for my feet and because of the dust. But now remember now, his name is in the book of life, Moses. God has a calling upon his life. God is not speaking about big things. He's speaking about small stuff. Because dust is small. Otherwise, he would have talked about rocks, dust. For us as Christian people, we don't talk about big sins, sins like killing people and stealing and, and all kinds of things. 
But God said, listen, on this journey, I want to deal with dust in your life. An attitude, a jealousy, an irritation, an impatience. You know, just in these last few days, in my quiet time one morning, I was reading about grace and meditating upon grace. This one guy tells a story, he said that grace is the unseen secretary in his office. And sometimes she would allow people to show up in his office unannounced. And sometimes people will phone him, not expecting a call from that person or this person. Then he was struggling with that because he said, doesn't Grace know that I have a timetable and a time limit for the day and an agenda and somehow people shows up and it changes your whole program for the day and things happen? And I just remember reading about this and meditating upon this. And, and in this week, one evening at 8 o'clock, my wife came to me and said, Honey, I want you to go with me quickly to go visit someone and show them a house because she's a real estate agent. And I kind of looked at her it's 8 o'clock in the evening. And then she looked at me and she said, because I hurt my ankle, and she goes like this with a little ankle, you know, and, and I look at the ankle, I hear the voice of my wife, but I'm thinking about unseen grace, my secretary. It's 8 o'clock in the evening, and <laughs> I don't want to do that. But I got up and I closed the door, and I went to my study, closed the door, and I put on my little cap and got my mask. And, and then she came back and she said, this woman just phoned back, we will not do this tonight, but tomorrow. And I said, oh, thank you, Lord. But let me be honest with you. It's a simple example that could have easily become dust. Irritations. Impatience. God said, listen, I want to deal with small stuff in your life. Small stuff. Everything which is not like Jesus, I want to remove that. But look at this, he said, take off the shoes. Why shoes? You know, for 40 years this man walked in the desert and there was no shopping mall from Potchefstroom and you can buy some shoes at pick and pay clothing and no. Shoes was man-made from the skin of goats and camels and sheep. He made his own shoes. And God is telling Moses that when you go back to Egypt, you will not go back in a man-made way. You'll go back the way I want you to go. Because the last time you tried to do something for me, you failed. And sometimes we try to do something for God, but we fail. But God said, listen, I want you to live your life according to my agenda and my timetable and my methods, and you will be successful. So what is that for you and for I? But then... If you would take off your shoes today, if I would ask you this morning to take off your shoes, all of you today, and leave it inside the building here, but then go outside to your vehicle and go home. All of us today, as we would leave, we know if we go outside that door, you will start to walk slower. Why? Because you know Outside is small little stones and sticks and leaves that might even hurt your feet. Am I right? So you will slow down the pace of life.
How do we walk with God today? By reading our Bibles and pray more? No. We walk with God according to God's walking pace. Not running ahead or staying behind in pace. But the last point from the shoes. If you walk out barefoot today, you will not only just walk slower, but you will be much more aware before you put the full weight of your body on side your feet like this. You will feel and then the weight will come down. You will feel and come down. Why? Because of the sticks and the rocks. You know what it means? God said, I want you to be much more aware and sensitive of me. There's a principle in the Bible called Kavanah. It means the direction of your heart to the one before whom you stand. It starts in Genesis chapter 17 when God said to Abram, Walk before my face and you shall be perfect. The direction of your heart to the one before whom you stand. When you go to the synagogue today in Israel, you'll find when you enter a little plague up there called the Ark of the Covenant. But inside there's the Torah, the Bible, the Old Testament, the Tanakh. When the, the rabbi would come, he would open the door and just underneath the inscription is the word Kavanah. So he would look in this and realizing the direction of my heart to the one before whom I stand. So what does it mean? It means that even though we are standing here today, that we are standing before the one that can do all things. No, let's make it even more practical. Jesus said, when I go to my Father, I will send you another one just like me that will be inside you and next to you that the world cannot see, but you will see him and know him because he's inside you and next to you. If I would ask you the question this morning, but where is the very face and presence of God? You would say up in heaven, that's true. But also at the same time, it's where? Right here. What will happen in this world if you and I start to live with the awareness and the sensitivity of God standing next to me? Will it change the things we are watching on television? Browsing through the internet? Looking? Staring, speaking, the answer is yes. Because you and I are standing on holy ground. Let me close with that. A few years ago, when I was preaching in Wales, I was coming to a place like this and parking my vehicle outside, and, and there was a little inscription called outside that said, Buy a parking ticket inside. So I walk inside and I saw there's a line of people before me, and I I was standing in the line and I want to buy a parking ticket to park my vehicle in. When I got to the front eventually I said, Ma'am, I just want to buy a ticket to park my vehicle because I want to go to the ATM machine to get some money and go to the Starbucks to get a cappuccino and then put in the gas and then drive. That's the intention. She said, Sir, parking is for free because this is Saturday. And so I walked away and a question comes into mind and said, what happened there, Franz? So I said, Lord, nothing except I wasted 20 minutes of my time. God said, no, let me ask you two questions. And that verse of Scripture come into my mind, walk before my face and thou shalt be perfect. Two questions. 
And the first one was, how many people will do the right thing when the right people are looking at you? That you and I will say the right thing and do the right thing because the right people are looking at us that can help us, provide for us, promote us. That's the easy question. The second one was, how many people will do the wrong thing, not if you know that you will be caught out? If you know that you will be caught out, will you still do it? And the answer is no. So how many kids will change the channel on television when they hear the footsteps of mom and dad or even the spouse coming towards them? They don't want you to see what they are watching. They change the screen from the laptop. But you know what? You and I are caught out already. Because there's one inside us and next to us. But if you start to live with that sensitivity, that's governor, the direction of your heart, to the one before whom we stand. Can you imagine every Christian in South Africa live like that? In the awareness of God's presence. What will happen in the family between husband and wife if there's a disagreement within one day it will be fixed? No more stealing, no more biggering, no more killings. Nothing will happen because of the direction of your heart and mine. Let me close. Then God says, I am the God of Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. So what does that mean? Before we can know where we're going to go for the next nine years in this church, you and I need to think about where you come from. God gave birth to this church for a reason and a purpose. For people to be saved and born again. No, to live in the promised land. To have a place of meeting. To live without dust and be sensitive and in pace and be used by God to bring redemption to the people of South Africa. When you think about revivals in the past, what was the birth of revival? What maintained revival? It was the same thing. We know to know today where we come from. Why am I here today? It's because of my grand-grandfather who prayed for me. My mother-in-law who prayed for you who help you to be discipled and to grow. Where did you come from? That will determine where this will be going in the future. Let me close. Moses was just sitting there between the goats and the sheep, thinking that God has forgotten about him. Just tending the flock of his father-in-law. Then God shows up at his business place and spoke to him. And God revealed his heart and his burden for the people of Israel and Egypt. He said, by the way, Moses, I want to use you. But I want you to realize something. You might find yourself here, but my plan... And my purpose for South Africa and the people from South Africa have not changed. I want each and every person to have a place where they can sit at my feet and they can hear my voice and they can listen to me speak and I can listen to them that we can have fellowship with one another.
I want to take you by the hand. I'm going to lead you throughout this day, this week, this month, this year. And I'm going to deal with things in your life. Because I look at you, God says, and I don't see information that you can gain. I see the potential of what you can become. Just like my son. Because Christianity is not what you know. It is what we become. May the Lord help you to be used by him as we join him just to be part of another story that will continue today and tomorrow as we journey with him to accomplish his goal and purpose in life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the time that we are able to spend together this morning. Lord, as we look at the life of Moses, we realize that he was just tending the flock of his father-in-law, minding his own business, doing every day what he's done for the last few days and weeks and months and 40 years. But you have not forgotten about him. Because your plan for him and for his brother and sister Miriam in Egypt has not changed. And for all the people of Israel, it's the same. And Father, sometimes we find ourselves in a difficulty of life. We find ourselves here in South Africa, maybe, and with the COVID-19, and maybe with issues of health and finances and in our relationships at work and at home. And sometimes we feel that you might have forgotten about us, but you did not. You know my name and every name here today because our names is written in the palm of your hand. And Father, you have a plan and you have a purpose. And even today as we reflect upon this, we know that God exists and God is actively governing every aspect of this world. In this wonderful little phrase, God loves us. God loves us. And He's involved in every aspect of our lives. But then, Father, to know that You have a plan and a purpose. And that plan includes blessings beyond what we can think or even pray or dream about. And to be part of something much bigger and wider even today. And so, Father, even today, in the midst of all of us here together today, there might be one Moses or two Moseses, a husband or a wife or a young boy or a young girl that you want to lay your hand upon and use them for your benefit and for your glory. And so, Father, I can only pray asking that you would take us by the hand, that you would teach us as you lead us into a place of worship, and just to sit at your feet. And then, Father, that you would work within us, that you can work through us to become a blessing for those that you have brought into our lives. And so I pray that you would remove every piece of dust, that you would help us to slow down the pace of life, that you would help us to walk with the awareness in the direction of our hearts before you. And help us, Lord, not to do things in our own strength. Like the prophet Zechariah was saying, it's not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. Find within us 
Brother Mike and his people here in Bible Church, Pochostrum, Lord, a vessel that you can use for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In just a moment, I'm going to have you stand and we'll take a moment more to pray and reflect on what you've heard. Let me remind you of a verse that we have in the book of Psalms, chapter 90. I think works very well with where Brother Francois started this morning. It says, we, our lives are as a tale that is told. The years of our lives are as a tale that is told. It's a story. It's a story. And today is just another chapter in that story. Where are you at in the story right now? We, we picked up the story in chapter 3 today. Brother Francois walked us a chapter back and a chapter back. You know, in Exodus 2, Moses had just come off of 40 years of living life on the backside of the desert. In frustration and discouragement, thinking God was finished with him. And then the burning bush. And something I think that it's always caught my eye, it caught the Lord's eye. In Exodus 3, verse 4, it says, When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see. I think so many times we get so busy that there are multiple burning bush moments and we just zip right past them. Moses turned aside to see, and the Bible goes out of its way to point this out, that the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to see. This morning, maybe this sermon can act as a burning bush moment. Maybe this was God showing up speaking to you. Now, the next line in your story should read, and the Lord saw that you took a moment to ponder, meditate on, and consider what God just showed you. So let's all stand and let's do that for a moment. Would you please, as we typically do here, heads bowed, eyes closed, just for a moment, I'd like for you to ask personally. Ask the Lord personally, God, where am I at in the story? Heads bowed, eyes closed, just for a moment of privacy. Are you wandering through the wilderness right now, living in defeat, collecting dust on the feet? That's what the wilderness will do to you. Maybe you've pressed into the promised land and you've experienced the peace and joy and victory. You've seen your life change and become more like Christ. But even Israel, after they got established in the promised land, oh, there were still enemies that sprung up. There were still challenges. I find it interesting when they got to the promised land, the angel met with Joshua and said, take your shoes off your feet. Isn't that something? The journey started with take your shoes off. And after they got to the promised land, take your shoes off. It's not a one-time thing. It's not one church service. Raise the hand, make a decision, and it's all done. This is a journey. You're telling a story. Tomorrow you'll wake up and the day begins with, and therefore... Tomorrow you wake up and now, what do you do with it? 
Getting saved and born again, folks, that's part of the story. A very important part, mind you. And if you've never been saved, that's the pivotal moment in life where you pass from death to life, out of darkness into light, from Satan to God. But that's just part of the story. We need to press on. In just a moment, I'll pray and close the service. You just take a moment and say, God, where am I at in this journey? What is it that you're trying to say to me today, Lord? I don't want to just zip off and get out of here and not think about it. I don't want to pass by this burning bush. I believe this church has a greater purpose than just nine years I believe you as an individual have a greater purpose than just to get saved and sit there there's more to it Father we come to you in the name of our Savior and your Son and like the Apostle Paul prayed that very famous day that he met you he said Lord what wilt thou have me to do And Father, that's the cry of our heart this morning. Collectively as a church, we want to ask you, what is it that you'd have us to do? We're we're busy, Lord, as best we know how. We're trying to fulfill your great commission. Show us what we need to do specifically to better serve you, to better glorify you, to better help the people in this community. Thank you for speaking to our hearts, for taking time this morning to come down in that burning bush manner, to call out our name individually and speak to us as individuals. Thank you for it. And thank you that we have, we have an opportunity later today, tomorrow, the next day, to head out to our Mount Sinai, that place where we can privately meet with you. I look forward to that, God. And Father, if any soul is here today and does not know you personally as their Savior, please, might that be fixed today. You said this is the day of salvation. Lord, I hesitate to rush out of here. I enjoy getting to be around you, be around your people, the encouragement that comes from it. But Lord, help us as we depart to hang on to what we've heard. Let it not slip but put it to use. Thank you for speaking to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.